first, I just want to thank, uh, to show my love and my appreciation for the staff that we have here. Uh, last week was, uh, I wasn't here, and I'm jealous. It ticked me off. We should have come back, baby. It was, it was amazing. What an amazing service. Those of you that weren't here, again, you don't know what you missed. I, I would encourage you to go online. Although I would say that if you go online, it's not the same as being in the room. It's just not. It's just not the same as being in the room. And the, the thing that we know here, the thing that we trust in here, is that it is not talent and ability. That's, that's not why you come. You don't come because of great preaching. You don't come because of great music. Well, maybe great preaching. Help me a little bit, people. Come on now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know that. <clears throat> The, the reason that, that people show up at this church is because you, you, you want to experience something. You want to experience the presence of God. Even if you're like way, 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 you've never really experienced God, and you really don't even know what that, would, that experience would be. You're not even sure. That's why you come, because you're desperate, and, and you're looking. And so to think of last week where there's a staff, a group of people that know that the most important thing for us on any given Sunday is to be as sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as we know how to be. And for them to follow him was awesome. And it just made me so proud, you know, as a pastor. It, it made me so proud just as a member. Um, I, I wanted to be here as I watched. I wanted to be here not, not because I wanted to be on stage. I just wanted to be out there and to be in the middle of it, to experience it. And so I just wanted to, to those guys. Uh, and, that, and that's not just one person. That's just a host of of, of people that were on the stage that were just sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to say thank you to that and thank them from the bottom of my heart. And for those of you that maybe you saw this video a few minutes ago and you thought, man, I don't really get it. What was that? Let me kind of give you a setup for that. So September the 8th, we launched what we call the next campaign. And uh, that day, I hit you with some pretty big stuff, right? Um, at the end of the day, I, I said, you know, two things we want to do. We want to be debt-free, and we, we have to build a children's facility in addition to this building, and we want to go outside of this building, some things we want to do. And then I told you, it's going to be about $2 million. Whoops. That was the real place where you drop the mic and kind of, kind of walk off, right? I wanted to run, actually, is what I wanted to do. And um, one of the things that we did to set up that day, because it's, it's easy to get caught up in things. And this is a weird campaign. I, I'm, I get it. It's weird, like you've never seen one like it. We've never seen one like it, never heard of one. Was advised against it, can I just say? You know, that, that you would go into trying to be debt-free and then trying to build a building and, and stay debt-free. It, it's just crazy. It's crazy talk. And so one of the things that we want to do is to make sure that we kept our focus on the why. So what we did was we actually took a group of people that were at the very first meeting of Springwell Church. We didn't even know we were Springwell Church at that point. We were just a group of people that were just meeting in the home of Tim and Cindy Howard. And it's pretty cool Tim's back there running our sound today. And uh, so we, we met in their home. And so we, get, we gathered them here. And one of the things that we did was they didn't know why. And so we had a group of people. We just picked random people that would just come out and say, thank you for the investment that you made. Whew, man, it was sweet. If it weren't for you, I, I wouldn't be here. You know, if it weren't for the sacrifices that you've made over the years. Because you have to understand, by the time we got here, we'd moved seven times. Seven times as a church. I mean, we were a traveling caravan. And you, you know, you didn't know where we were going to be next week. 
um, we, we just, we moved, and we, we moved to the best of our ability just to accommodate the crowd that we had, and then we kept moving and, and traveling until we finally made it to this piece of property, and I think this was the seventh time that we had moved, and, um, and it was because there's a group of people, um, we had no idea, we had no vision, wow, this, this is pitiful, we had, no, we had no vision of what you see today. We, we didn't have a building, we weren't trying to be a mega church. I mean, I'm just telling you the honest truth. We just wanted to love people. And, and honestly, we just wanted to love broken people. People that nobody else would love, nobody else would believe in. And we just wanted to love those people and show them the power of God. And, and so we brought these people in, and it was amazing. Because these, these people, I mean, like 99% of them are still serving today. Which is amazing because, you know, people get tired and they get burned out. You're working the children for a couple of years and you say, oh, I'm burned out. And I go, we got people who've been doing it literally for 24 years they've been doing that. Still here, still doing the same thing that they've always done. Um, and they give. To everything that we ever ask, they just, they just give. And so it was just a way to look at those people and say, thank you for what you've done. And then we focused on Kim this morning because, wow, did you hear a story? I mean, did you really get, I know it's, sometimes it's difficult and you get, maybe miss things, but, you know, she's here three months. You don't even know how she got here. She got here because she was struggling financially and, and she needed some tires and some of our people, I won't go into that whole story, but they were just out and they saw that she had a need. And so this, this group of Springwell people, without even saying who they were, took her to a tire store and bought her a set of tires. That's our people. Does that make me proud? They didn't call me and say, hey, what do you think? They just did it. They didn't, they didn't call and say, listen, do we have any money in the church budget, uh, like benevolence? I mean, do we have any money so that we can? They, not, they just did it. And then Kim came, and then she experienced death, tragedy, one after the other after the other. And I don't know if you heard it or not, but one of the things that she talked about was that, you know, that, that first experience, her growth group was there. They, they were there when she went through those difficulties. And, and Springwell was, was there. Are we a perfect church? Lord, have mercy. No. We'll hurt you at some point in time. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I mean, somewhere we're going to make you mad. We're going to hurt your feelings. It's just going to happen because we're just fallible people like you. But that's not our heart. And so we try really, really hard to just love people. And so that's, that's, that's what we want to share with you, Kim's story. Because it's so powerful. It's so sweet, the power of church. And I would look at you and say, if you're just a person that shows up on a Sunday morning, I'm, I'm so sorry for you. And I know you're scared. I know, I know, I get it. You don't want to do the growth thing. And you don't want to get involved. But I'm telling you, that's church, not just what we This is just celebration stuff on Sunday. Doing life together intimately during the week. That's, that's church. That's what church is all about. And then we get to come on Sunday and just all hang out and love on each other. Life's hard. Anybody? Life's hard. We need each other. So today we're going to start a brand new series called 41. <laughs> Thank you so much. Because this is what I was looking for. Fort one, really? Like of all the names you could come up with for a series, you got 41. I have no idea what that means. So let me just say this. 
If you're stuck in one of those nasty storms of life, and I say stuck, and let me talk to followers of Jesus right now. I'm not talking to non-followers. I'm just talking to followers of Jesus. If you're stuck in one of the nasty storms of life, and you've been praying and begging and pleading with God to just do something in your life, you just want to make it through the storm. You want to come out on the other side. You want to know that one day that the rain will stop, you know, the clouds, they'll part, they'll dissipate, they'll, they'll, they'll move on, they'll be blown away to somewhere else over somebody else. Let's be honest, you don't even care who else. You just want it on you, right? Then this series is for you. Or if you're in serious need of a second chance, and who are we kidding? I say second chance. That's just a that's just a phrase. That's the way we put it. For, for most of us, most of us at Spring, we would say, second chance. Dude, I give like, my second chance was years ago. And that was like thousands and thousands and thousands of second chances ago. And if, you, if you're like there and you keep thinking, you know, I'm just wanna, I'm, I just want to somehow work my way to God. I'm hoping that maybe one day I'll somehow find favor and maybe he'll be able to use me again like he did before. If that's you and you're in the waiting zone, then this series, I'm telling you, this series is for you. If you feel like you're stranded in the wilderness of unfulfilled expectations, I wish I had written that. I got that off a of devotion. It was so cool, wasn't it? Let me read it one more time. If you feel like you're stranded in the wilderness of unfulfilled expectations, if you feel like that you're in the waiting zone, in other words, you have, you never felt like at this stage of life you'd be where you are. You just thought you'd be somewhere else by now. I'm telling you, this series is going to be for you. Or if you're facing an unbeatable giant or you're bearing up against an unspeakable temptations. In other words, if you are in this, this waiting zone, waiting for some relief, waiting for your miracle, and that's where some of you are, that's where I am. That's collectively where we are as a church as we go through this next campaign when we know there's no way humanly possible with the group of people that we have and the money that we have, there's no way we can pull off $2 million. It's a giant that stands in our way. We can't do it. And as much as you may feel like giving in, giving up, throwing in the towel, don't do it. I want to tell you that you can hold on and stay strong. Because eventually, eventually, the rain will stop and a new day will dawn and a second and third and fourth and fifth and whatever chance it is that you're on by now, that day will come. Number 41, day 41 will come. Okay, I got some explaining to do, right? So 41, like what is that? Well, it probably doesn't make sense to most of us. So just so you know, a, a, there's a lot of significance placed on numbers in the Bible by some theologians, not all theologians, but there are some theologians out there, and it's the really cool ones, you know, that want to find stuff in Scripture that nobody else can find. And so it's literally, there's a, there's a fancy name for it. It's called biblical numerology. And so there are some theologians that have given in to this thing called biblical numerology. And so they place really high significance on some numbers. And so they would say, if you look at the number three, it's repeated in Scripture. And here's what it means each time that it's repeated. And so number three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Y'all did really good. And so other people would say, you know what, number three is a really significant number. Number six is a really significant number. God created the world in how many days? Wow. And he rested on the seventh. And then they would say, not only is six a really significant number, but the number seven is a really significant number. But guess what? 
They don't say squat about 41. Nothing. It's not even in the Bible. They don't ever say there's never 41. On day 41, it's not there. It's never there. So, the number 40 is another one of those significant numbers. Um, after Noah built the ark, it rained for? Well, y'all are smart. Okay, I'll give you an easy one. After Moses committed murder and killed this Egyptian taskmaster. Remember that story? And for those of you that have got a little bit of fight in you, you kind of like that story. Be honest. Come on. Come on. Be honest. You say, man, that, that was me. I did the same thing. You know, there was a bully. There was the Egyptian taskmaster picking on one of his Hebrew brothers. And so the redneck came out in him. <laughs> and he didn't whip him. He killed him. And then he ran and hid in the desert for 40 years. Yeah, you guys are really, really sharp. After the exodus, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for, for 40 years. For 40 days, Jonah preached a message of doom and gloom to the city of Nineveh. So let me tell you what theologians, these really special theologians, have said about the number 40. They, they say it's significant because it represents a period of probation, a probation period. That's not too bad. I don't like it, but I can go along with that a little bit better. They go on and say, a time of testing, and I go, I don't want to be tested. I want to say, I'm good. Don't you? Come on now. If you've been following Jesus for a while, and I say a time of testing, you go, I'm, can, I like, can I not miss this one? Can my neighbor go through the time of testing and tell me what they got? You know, can, can I do that? Here's the one I really don't like. It's, they say, not only is, that, is it a time of probation, a time of testing, it's a time of struggle. Ah, and it is. It's, it's a time of struggle. <clears throat> and so they mentioned 40. They mentioned 40 a lot. And so I think what I'm going to do next year, no kidding, I think we're going to do this, the same series again next year. You'll know what's coming in a little bit. And we're going to take another one of those stories that deal with the number 40 and how it leads to 41. I think it'll be so much fun. Because number, the number 41 is really significant. It's a sweet number. It did rain for 40 days and 40 nights. But day 41 came. Ha ha. And it stopped raining. Moses did kill a man. He did run and hide in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years. But year 41 did come. And here's what's sweet. It's not like God showed up and said, okay, finally I've made up my mind. I'm going to forgive you. That's not what happened. He, said, he showed up and he said, you know what, here's the thing. We, we had to do this work in you. For 40 years, but now the, the 41 year, the 40, 41st year has come. And guess what? I don't want you to just know that I love you and that you're forgiven, but I want to use you. You think that your life is done, that you made, that you committed the most horrible sin. You committed murder, but I want you to know that I'm going to send you back. And with the people that you had a passion for, I'm going to use you to set them free. That's good right there. Come on. That's good. The children of Israel did wander in the wilderness for 40 years, but 40, year 41 did come. And a new generation of people entered the promised land. For 40 days, Noah did preach. Jonah did preach a, a message of doom and gloom to the city of Nineveh, but, but day 41 did come. It did come. And you know why it came? It came because these people listened to the message of doom and gloom, and they responded. They responded, and they repented, and God showed up. 
And he, and he offered them mercy and grace and forgiveness, and their lives were spared. They did hear it for 40 days, but day 41 did come. The pattern is clear. I mean, 40 is a really clear number. It's very important. There's no doubt about that. But the number 41, for me personally, is also a really, really sweet number. 41 represents a, the dawn of a new day. It represents, if you don't quit, that the rain will stop and second chances are possible. And listen, you need to be with me. You need to hang with me just two weeks, this week and next week. You need to invite your friends because what some of you need to hear is that your day 41 is coming. It may not be here yet. You need to know that beyond any shadow of a doubt that day 41 will come. It will. So with that little background laid, I want to jump into this incredible story that leads to day 41. And honestly, we won't even scratch the surface much today. So you've got to come back next week. I'm not kidding. It's a two-part message. I just couldn't get it all said. Some of you are thinking, bless his heart. That's pitiful. I mean, we all know the statement. We're going to talk about David and Goliath. And you're thinking, hello, we already know the outcome. <laughs> I mean, like, even if you don't go to church, you probably know the story of David and Goliath, right? Little David, the slingshot. Y'all with me? Y'all have heard that story, right? Yeah, most people have, whether you're church or unchurched. But there's so much there that I want to unpack. So it's a two-part message, so come back next week. Today, let's jump into 1 Samuel 17. Here's what it says. Now, the Philistines gathered the forces of war. You need to understand that right out of the gate. This is really, really important. Who gathered their forces of war? Philistines. Now, similar to that Sokai in Judah. And just so you know, they started the war, and as one writer put it, I love this, because I love to dig sometimes, you know, I love to see what all the other guys are saying, and so I read all these commentaries, and I try to dig and, 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 and learn words, and so one writer put it this way, he said, somehow, I love this, the ragtag army of Hebrew farmers, are y'all listening? Somehow, the ragtag army of Hebrew farmers had defeated them in just a few months earlier at the Battle of Michmash. It had been a stinging humiliating defeat. Now, let me tell you what. Sometimes I need a dictionary to help me understand the definition. Are you with me? I, I mean, sometimes I just need, I, what do they mean by that? So the word, believe it or not, that caught my attention was the word ragtag. A ragtag group of, a ragtag army of Hebrew farmers. And so I just looked up some synonyms for the word ragtag, and here's what I found. Impoverished, indigent, moth-eaten. Poor, shabby, shoddy, sick, tattered. In other words, these Hebrew farmers were considered by some to not be up to the challenge of this professional group of Philistine warriors, a group of, of professionals that had been trained well, that had been conditioned, that were ready to fight. In other words, in other words, this little bunch of Hebrew farmers, a group of guys that, no kidding, just a few days before had been out tending sheep, suddenly now are called to join their king's army and do battle. They're the underdogs. And they're not the underdogs just a little bit. They're the underdogs a whole lot. And I think we all love underdog stories, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of the story about these three bikers who pulled up to a highway cafe. And uh, they walked in, and they walked into the inside little cafe. And they, all they found is the place was nearly empty. They found a waitress, they found a cook, and they found a truck driver. 
Now, let me just say about the truck driver, he's not the typical, stereotypical truck driver that you're thinking about. He's a little guy. And sometimes when we think about truck drivers, we think about the big, burly guys. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, the big, they're men. And when they walk through a room, I mean, you could, they're driving big trucks for Pete's sake, you know? They got to change gears and the steering wheel's like four foot. I mean, so they have to hang on. So these, you know, big bellies, big guys, big strong guys. This guy wasn't that guy. He was just a little bitty fella. He was just a little bitty fella. And when the bikers walked in, they were angry. Let me tell you why they were angry. They were angry, and I'm a biker, and I get it. Some truck driver, not the little truck driver, but some truck driver had cut them off a few miles back. And they were mad. And although this guy was not the guy, they said, we're just going to take out our anger on this guy. And so they grabbed his food, threw it across the room. They called him names, made fun of his mama. I mean, they did everything they could to provoke this guy. The truck driver never said a word. He just sat there quietly. Finally, he got up. He paid for his food, and he walked out. And they couldn't believe it. I mean, really what they were trying to do was they were trying to provoke this guy for a fight, you know. And they knew they were going to tear his little behind all to pieces, you know. And they were ready. They, were, they wanted to, to release that anger. And he just walked out. In fact, one biker said to the waitress, he said, he wasn't much of a man, was he? A little wimp. He just walked out. She said, nope. He sure wasn't. And he wasn't much of a truck driver either. Because on the way out, he ran over three motorcycles. <laughs> I love that story, don't you? Man, I love underdog stories. We all do. I mean, ESPN comes across with so many underdog stories. Oftentimes, they'll say, this is the David and this is the Goliath. Let me tell you something I learned about underdog stories, though. We love it when they win, but let's be honest. We doubt that they can ever do it again. I mean, right. I mean, you, you look at it the first time, and you're thinking the whole game, if it's a, if it's a football game, if it's a baseball, no matter what it is, if it's a fight, if it's MMA, whatever it might be, you're looking, you're thinking, wow, this is really cool, but it ain't never going to happen again. It's just luck. Maybe it's not luck. Maybe it's the other team, the other guy, the bigger, faster, stronger guy. Maybe he just came in a little bit cocky. A little bit arrogant. He, he didn't take his opponent serious enough. But the thing that you know is that he will never let that happen again. You know it ain't going to be that easy second go round. You know that next time not only will they be prepared, but they will be determined because they have been humiliated. They've been embarrassed, right? And so next time they're not just coming in to get a win. They're coming in to annihilate and embarrass They want their pride back. Here's what I want you to understand. That's the picture of what's happening right here. The Philistines are the ones who said, let's go back to war again. Come on, big boy. Let's go back to war again. Maybe the first time, maybe the first time we weren't prepared. Maybe the first time, you know what, we were a little cocky. We were a little arrogant. We saw that we were bigger. We knew that we were professional. We knew that we were soldiers. You're just a bunch of farmers, but we won't, let that, we won't make that mistake again. And they'd probably heard, probably heard that Samuel the prophet, which is a really big deal for Israel, that Samuel the prophet had had a falling out with Saul. And he finally said, I'm going to leave you to your stupidity. I've tried to tell you. 
God spoke to me to speak to you, but you think you know it all. You think your way is better. And so Samuel finally said, you know what? I'm just going to leave you to yourself. And maybe the Philistines were smarter than Saul. Maybe what they knew was, you know what? What they had that we don't have was we don't have their God. And maybe it was their God that empowered them. Maybe it was their God that gave them the strength because, like, we saw stuff we've never seen before. And now they think they don't have Samuel. Samuel's not there to give them any advice, any encouragement, any words from God. So this is our time to retrieve the pride that we lost. This time they're going to be prepared and payback's going to be sweet. So they pitched a tent at Ephesus Damon near Soko near Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled in camp in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other. So you kind of got that picture in your head? So there are these two mountains, these two big hills, and so there's the Philistines on one side, and there's the Israelites on the other, and the valley is the thing that separates them in the middle. In the middle. So the farmers are ready to do battle, I guess. I remember, I actually wrote that down. I read it in the commentary. So the farmers are ready to do battle. And to be honest with you, after I studied this for a while, and I know the rest of the text, I go, I don't know if they were ready or not. I'm not so sure that they weren't thinking the same thing everybody else is thinking. You know what? The first time was kind of a fluke. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be so easy the second time. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're more prepared. They're professional. We are farmers. I heard sheep for Pete's sake. Who am I to go out and fight for my king, for my country, for my God? So, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. It's really important that you understand where he came from. Some translations don't even give you that. They don't tell you exactly. They just say that Goliath came out. Here's what you need to know. Goliath was a giant from an area of giants. Are you with me? So like he was the biggest, baddest giant in a land of giants. That's, that's, the, that's the importance of the passage. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale, armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So I did my due diligence because there's a lot of talk about how big he was. I mean, just how big a boy was he? That's the question, you know. The question is, just how big a man was he, was he actually? So there are some, and even some of your translations will say that he was 9 foot 9 inches tall. Wow. There will be some other guys that will say, well, it's more of a general kind of thing. He probably was somewhere between 8'5 and maybe 9'9. Nine, nine. And I go, what? Where do you come up with this stuff? But they had their reasons. They have their reasons for what they say. They say the language according to the context, according to where he was from, all of this stuff. They come up with really good reasons why he probably was 9 foot 9 inches tall. Others say, the really smart theologians, say that he probably wasn't nine foot nine inches. He was probably six foot nine inches. 
probably only six foot nine inches, and then they give their reasons for why they think that. One of the reasons that they think is because the average Israelite male was only five foot five inches tall. And I thought that was weird. I went back, I looked at it again. I said, you can at least give them another inch. It could have been five, six. Why five, five? And they give you all of the reasons, and here's what got me. As I started doing all this study, and you know what it's easy to do? It's easy, if you're not careful, to get caught up in all of these details to the extent where you start to doubt. Is this really God's Word? Can we really trust what it says? Who really knows how Goliath, how big he was? Maybe he wasn't even a giant at all. And the thought occurred to me. I think the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, you know what? You're missing the point. The point is not whether he was 6'9 or 9'9. The point was he was a giant to them. That's the point. Doesn't how doesn't matter how big. To them, he was a giant. My guess is chances are really good that you've gone head to head with a giant at some point in your life. And it really doesn't matter what other people think. And maybe if we're gut level honest, you don't even talk about it. You know why you don't talk about it? Because you're afraid if you mention what your giant is, that other people will laugh at you. And they'll think that you're stupid. Maybe it's a financial crisis. A financial crisis can be, can be a giant. Man, Karen and I have been there. I've heard me tell the story many times. When we were in seminary. I mean, we were, we were incredibly broke. I'll, I'll never forget the day. I, I, was, I was feeding Emily, actually. And I remember after I was feeding Emily, I... I thought, well, I'm kind of hungry myself. Not that any of her green peas and ham enticed me, but I, I love to eat. So I, I went to the cabinet. I remember opening up the cabinet, and literally there was one can of green beans. One can of green beans in the cabinet. There wasn't many cans. There wasn't other cans. It's one can of green beans. And I remember thinking, really, Lord? I don't even like green beans. So the one can of green beans is for Karen. It's not even for me. What am I supposed to eat? I know, I know there's been days for us when, you know what? $5 was a big deal. I remember pulling up to a gas station. I remember again when I was in seminary, coming home one night from a job at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I remember I had to have gas. I remember pulled up, and I had to put it on the credit card, not because I was one of those guys that was going to earn points and credit. It was, it was all we had. I had no money. It was either charge it or, or not have gas. And see, for some people, it's $100. For some people, it's $1,000. For some people, it's a million dollars. It doesn't matter. It's a giant to you. For some people, you know, the giant might be be cancer. I remember when we found out that Karen had breast cancer. You know where we were? We were, we were on Highway 26, this side of Columbia, and we were headed to Myrtle Beach to do a wedding. And I, I remember thinking, of, of all, how cold? That's, I remember thinking, we got this call, and Karen answered, and, and, I, and I know her so well, and I remember, the, I, I looked at her face, I heard the sound of her voice, and I knew something was wrong, and, and she didn't say a whole lot, and she hung up, and she said, I said, baby, you know, she said, it's, it's cancer. Well, I was, on, I was on 26, I was doing 75, okay, 80. No more than 82 or 3. And in, in that moment, I can't tell you how frustrated I was, I didn't know what, I didn't know what to do. I just found out my wife has cancer, and and I'm going, I'm going to do a wedding, and we have to be jolly. and Because we, we would never, ever show up and share that kind of news with people that want to experience a life together. And, and, 
and celebrate. We wanted to celebrate with them, so we, we didn't. We didn't tell them what we'd experienced. I remember what it was like going down the highway, and I heard that nasty word cancer, and I didn't know what to do. I don't, do I pull on the side of the road? And I was kind of raised that, no, the emergency lane is only for emergencies. And is, is this an emergency? I mean, it's not a vehicle kind of thing, but it's an emergency. I felt like I needed to stop, and I needed to embrace her and hold her and, and, and cry. And cancer can be, can be a giant. Depression can be a giant. And sometimes, boy, the worst place to struggle with depression is the church because we look at you and tell you, if you just had enough faith, why don't you trust God? Why don't you pray a little bit more? Why don't you, why don't you say a few more verses, right? Rub that verse a few more times. And, and, or you're just not trusting. You're not believing. And you just want to slap somebody and say, I'm trying. I'm trying to believe, and I'm quoting the verse, and I'm praying the prayers. I'm doing everything I know, but I, I'm, I'm depressed, and I can't get over it. So you know what? You, you suffer in silence because you don't want to tell anybody because for somebody else, depression is not a thing. But for you, it's a giant. It's a giant. A giant can be that big bully in the seventh grade that won't leave you alone. My big bully was Vic Burgess, and he's not only within our school, he was in our neighborhood. I remember we were out playing backyard football, and, and, and this guy, which, by the way, when we were in the seventh grade, he was six foot four. He weighed 275 pounds. He had 18 and a half inch biceps. He had a beard down to his navel. Okay, that's an exaggeration, but I'm just saying, to me, to me, he was a giant. And God's kind of wired me a certain way. And, and so he was running the ball, and he took this little guy, the smallest guy in the neighborhood, and he pushed him down, and he literally just like rubbed his face in the dirt. And, before I knew it, I had stood face to face with the giant and was thinking, this probably wasn't a good idea. I should get a hold of my emotions. A giant can even be that little voice in your head that whispers, you can't. What are you thinking? You can't. You won't. You never will because you never have. You're a failure. You've been trying all your life to overcome that giant, whatever that giant is. You've been trying your whole life to defeat the giant, and the giant kicks your rear end every single time, that voice inside your head. And it really doesn't matter how big or small other people think your giant is. For you, it's still a giant because it's bigger than you. And so Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, I love this. Why do y'all even bother to show up for battle? Really? Why do, you, why do you even bother? Am I not a Philistine? I'm a professional. This is what we do for a living. I've been trained in how to fight. Who are you? You're just the servants of Saul. Some of you boys were just out tending your sheep. You were just out tending flocks just yesterday. Then he says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you'll become our servants, our subjects, and you'll serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. 
I got to be honest. When I first read this, I thought, wow, sounds like a cool way to do battle, you know? So what he chose is something that we're not really familiar with, but he, he proposes is this ancient tradition of single combat. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that's kind of like a little game of one-on-one, winner-take-all. One man from your side, one man from our side. And so they would fight to the death. And the army, here's the cool thing. The army, the army of the winner wins. Not, ju- not, just, not just this guy is victor, but his army is the victor. You have to admit, it's the kind of plan that you know, saves time. You don't have to go on for weeks or months or even years in the battle of, 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 of armies and recruit more and strategies. It avoids useless bloodshed. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that got me. You know what? It only works if somebody steps up to the challenge. It's no good if nobody steps up to the challenge. So the big question here is, who's going to step up to the plate? What little five-inch, five-foot, five-inch man is going to step up to King Saul and say, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. King Saul, I'm willing to fight for you. I'm willing to fight for my country. More importantly, I'm willing to fight for my God. To be honest, what the Philistine is saying is he is saying like that, that you are no good, God, like that you are weak, that you're inferior, that you don't have power. And so King Saul, what I want you to know is I'm willing to stand up for God in this. But nobody did. For 40 days, old nine-foot, nine-inch Goliath stood and called out for somebody to step up to the challenge. And you know what? For 40 days, nobody did. You know why? Verse 11 tells us like we needed verse 11 to figure it out. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the, the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So they just hid in shame. You know what's amazing, really, again, if you study the passage really deep, you know what you find? Saul, I think it's like 1 Samuel 9, he was the tallest in Israel. So the old king, you know, maybe he's like old Patton, old blood and guts. It sent everybody else to the front line, and then he pulled around ranks and went to the back. I get leadership. I do. I get leadership. But there's a leader. There's a king that could have stood up for his people. He could have stood up for his country who just hid like everybody else. So maybe you're kind of like the Israelites who were dismayed and terrified. Man, I've been there. I've been there so many times. Oh, man, I know what it's like to be dismayed. I know, I know what it's like to, you can't even figure who God is anymore. You wonder if he really is who he says he is and so you question him, and I don't know if you've ever been like me, but I've even took, taken some scripture and said, well, you say, you say, I'm all powerful. Where are you now? I don't know if you've looked around, but the devil's kicking your behind. I mean, he's kicking it bad. You don't have a good reputation right now. Y'all probably never done that. I have. You may feel like God's not listening to your prayers. His presence is nowhere to be found, and you're alone. And you're afraid. You're in the waiting zone. You're in the waiting zone. And maybe you've been praying for a while. Karen and I know what that's like. 
I knew what it was like to wait every day when we were in seminary. I said, every day for a phone call, one phone call, one phone call that I knew could change our lives. One phone call, one phone call. And I'd get up every morning waiting on that phone call. I'd come home from school in the afternoon and I'd look at the answer machine hoping and praying that there's a, there's a message. You know, it's that phone call. And it, and it, and it didn't come. I didn't want it's like to be in the waiting zone. And to wonder if God is really who he says he is, that he loves you at all, that he cares or gives a rip about your situation. But here's what I can promise you. It's the beauty of being old. I tell you, the beauty of being old is I can tell you, based on my life story, is that your story's not over. I can promise you that your story's not over. Dave, 41 is still out there. 41 is a declaration that, that things will get better, that the rain will stop, that the sun will shine, that the day will break, that the page will turn, that the giant will fall. But, listen, you have to be willing to step up to the plate, spiritually speaking. You can't run and hide. You've got to deal with your junk. You've you got to be willing to say, I don't know what to do. You can complain. Our, our growth group had a cool study that we're doing. You can complain, and yet at the same time have confidence in the God that you serve that he's going to show up. Maybe not when you want him to. So for some of you, stepping up to the plate means asking for help. This means asking for help. And maybe you haven't asked for help just because you are so afraid. You're afraid of the journey. You're afraid of what freedom is going to look like. You're, you're afraid of what sobriety looks like. You're afraid of what living clean. You don't, you don't know another way of life. You've tried before and you failed and you've got all of that junk and all that garbage in your head. You've got that voice that whispers and says, you can't, you won't, you never have. Who are you trying to fool? And that's a lie. It's a lie. I'm a testimony that it's a lie. God will show up. But you have to ask for help. You've got to be willing to ask for help. And so for some of you, that might mean, you know what you do? You show up. I know, I know. You knew it was coming. You need to be there here Thursday night. You need to walk in. You need to say, bring me a hanky or something. Walk in, waving that sucker. You know, say, I give up. I can't do this anymore. And there'll be a group of people that'll go, oh. We're so glad you're here. And they won't make fun of your giant. They won't criticize you. They won't say that your giant's not as big as their giant. For some of you, honestly, you need to move past just showing up on Thursday night. You need, you need to dig deep. You need to get in a 12-step study. And you need to allow the process of going through each of those steps to dig deep into your psyche, into your hurt, and into your pain so that you can figure out the why, not just the why, but now that you can deal with the why. To deal with the hurt, it's going to be hard. See, day 41 is out there, but you've got to be willing to step up to the plate. Are you ready? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and honestly, you're just tired of the struggle. That's why you're here this morning. You're tired of the struggle. You're, 
You're weak, you're weary. You know what? You've tried to be better and do better on your own, right? You did. You tried. You, you tried to somehow work your way to earning God's grace. And you think, I'll just get a little bit better and I'll look more like a church person. Unless you go to Springwell. And we mess you up. You go, they look like I do. You're right, because we are just like you. People that struggle. People that have, have battled and lost. And people that have battled and won, not because of us, but because we understand what maybe the Philistines understood was the secret to their success was the God that they served. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you know what, you're just here. Here's what I want you to know. If your struggle is with sin, that's your struggle. That's your giant. What I want you to know is that, is that God defeated the giant of sin. He, he, he did it. Jesus. Because he's crazy about you. Because he loves you with the kind of intensity that you can't imagine. Oh my gosh. For you to get that, for you to understand that, how important you are, that you matter to God, the creator of the universe. And that all he cares about not what you can do for Him. What you going to do for God? I mean, really, how are you going to impress God? You're going to live good this week and go, Phew. And He could say, dude, I was there for 33 years. I was perfect. Top that. To which we go, I got nothing. He created the world in six days, so what are you going to do for God? What are you going to build for God? Nothing. He just wants a relationship with you. And He defeated the giant of sin. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty. And on the third day, listen, this is the important part. He was raised from the dead and he's alive. This morning, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just tired of the struggle of sin, I just want you to know it's been defeated. Your day 41, your year 41, your probation period, your period of struggle can be over. You can find the love that you've been looking for your whole life. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. No one's looking around. If you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, now maybe just right there where you are, maybe you just say, God, I'm just going to confess that my life is out of control. I got a sin problem. And I'm just going to have to accept what you did for me on the cross. It's hard for me to understand that kind of love. It's just bigger and deeper and sweeter than anything I've ever heard of or seen before. It's, it's too much to take in, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept it. And from this day forward, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, and I just I want you to be my Savior. And from this day forward, I want to follow you. I want to know who you are. I want to walk with you every day. I want to be in a relationship with you. understand it. I cannot comprehend it. But I accept it. And just tell him you love him. Even if that love is so small right now compared to where it will be in a few years. Father, we do love you. You're amazing. Lord, uh, I thank you for the story of my life, God, that uh, I faced a lot of giants, no doubt. And there have been days, Lord, honestly, I mean, I have to be honest, Lord, there have been days when I was pretty convinced that I'd lost. And Lord, for me, it, you know what? Honestly, God, it wasn't weeks or months, it wasn't days. 
Lord, there, there were battles that we fought for years, years. But Lord, what you've taught me is that you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You're the one who calls out the starry host and you name each one by name. It is by your mighty strength and your power that they exist. God, that you love me. Thank you. You're awesome. Lord, as a church, as we, Lord, help us together to just experience your goodness and your, and your power. And God, that even through this campaign that we're going through, Lord, that we'll learn more about you and, and we can watch the miracles of how you provide. You're awesome. We love you. It's in your sweet name that we